And the online store pretty much blew up overnight. It was doing like 100K a year revenue when we took it over. And then in the first year, after the first year, it was doing more than a million a year in revenue. And then the second year, it was doing six and a half million a year in revenue. So it sounds like a great story. And it's (laughs) like, it was a crazy period of my life. Today, listeners, it's an honor to have Brendan Tolley on our show. Brendan is a serial entrepreneur in the truest sense of the word. Currently, he is running six digital businesses and has some incredible knowledge to share. Brendan and I will first start chatting about his first business that went from 100000 to $6 million in just three years, then losing cash flow. Eventually, he had to shut the business down. He addresses some of the leadership lessons he took away from that experience and how he promised himself he would never start another business again. Brendan then talks about how he got into the six businesses that he's involved in today and how he manages his time as a serial entrepreneur. This episode is full of great tips on handling the decay of a business, managing remote teams, and optimizing e-commerce stores. And without further ado, let's welcome Brendan Tolley to the show. Welcome to the show, Brendan. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Good to be on. Yeah, and you're calling in from Thailand today? Currently in Chiang Mai, Thailand, yes. Incredible. How is it down there? Uh, it's good, but it's... um. It's just starting the smoky season here. So the air quality is not as good as it was a few weeks ago. So it's time it's time to this time of year is uh, not great to be around. So planning a little beach vacation right now. Sounds nice. So Brendan, I'd like to get into your story as an entrepreneur. I know when we first met you told me about your IT business and the mm-hmm. ups and downs you had to go through <laughs> through that business and, and <laughs> so let's start there and share with the listeners sure that's a long story it goes back a long <laughs> way so i <laughs> i've been in this since i was uh so i think wow well, am i i'm 30 36 i think yeah 36 <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i think we started me and my business partner at the time, we started the first business when I was 18 or 19, so that's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So we started this little uh, IT services company that was ticking along pretty nicely for uh, like just doing IT support and stuff for um, local businesses, small businesses in Australia. So I'm from Australia, um, and we were running that for like, well, it must be four years, five years, and we hired this guy. Um, who was running an online store at the time. He was closing it up and he just wanted to get a normal IT job. It was ticking along, but it wasn't making a full-time income for him. So we did a deal where we would take over the store for him and he would you know, work full-time for us. And you know, that was that. It seemed it was kind of in line with what we were doing, selling computer parts and things like that. And the online store pretty much blew up overnight it was doing like 100k a year revenue when we took it over and then in the first year after the first year it was doing more than a million wow um year in revenue and then the second year it was doing six and a half million a year in revenue so um it sounds like a great story and it's <laughs> like it was a crazy period of my life but um it was just massive so I was still pretty young at the time, like 24, 25, or maybe not even that old. Um, and it was just crazy. We went from four staff to 25 and two offices and just exploded and didn't really know enough to manage a business of that size. And business growth is good, but uncontrolled explosive business growth is bad. So hmm. ultimately, we kind of destroyed our cash flow with the growth and ended up closing up shop. Um, ran out of cash and closed up shop. So 
it was a spectacular success and then a spectacular failure. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was a interesting start to well, interesting uh, experience. And I swore after that I would never run a business again, and I would just have <laughs> I would just work for someone else. And um, three months later, I started getting a lot of calls from well, calls from friends who owned web agencies and various people um, asking about this thing called SEO. Some people called it CEO, but asking about <laughs> SEO and ranking in Google and um, started doing consulting work around that. So um, very quickly that turned into a full-time gig. So that's how my current main business, the search engine shop, was born. So we started off doing SEO and then branched down into AdWords and websites and all sorts of stuff. Um, relating to online marketing and in 2010 with a handful of friends we won a government contract to do we basically got paid by the Australian government to do workshops and training teaching small business owners about the web and how to rank higher on Google and all this stuff so basically the government paid us to stand in front of our target market and prospects and teach them about the web so that's been an awesome marketing channel for the last five odd years that was in 2010 so five or six years we've been doing workshops and that's how we've grown the business so we have a i'm involved in a few other businesses as well as part of that but that's i guess that's the broad stroke story if you want to dig into specific points there or i would a little bit um (laughs) (laughs) what would you attribute that growth that you had in your first it business to you went from 100k to a million to six million and basically a three-year span yeah um it was there was a few few components to it i think at the time people were afraid of buying things online it was still the time period where people were scared of putting credit cards into a computer and it was it was kind of a a rising tide situation where that was changing and people were getting more comfortable with buying online so that was one part of it People wouldn't were still a bit fearful of buying from overseas, so mm-hmm. um, we only sold it sold in Australia. So um, it, it was kind of we were protected from the broader market. Like today, you would be able to do that because Amazon is just huge. Amazon and eBay just would crush you. But um, right. that was probably part of it. And then we had products that nobody else had. So we we there was a whole bunch of brands that the market wanted that you could only buy from overseas. And we just started importing them. So I think it was really the combination of those three. I don't think it was really like any – we thought at the time it was our skill and business brilliance. But <laughs> looking back, it was really like a combination of those three factors and probably a bit of luck and timing as well, I think. Uh-huh. And who was in charge? It was you and – did you have one other partner and then the guy working full-time? Yeah, I had one other one other business partner. So there was two of us. So we ended up with two. I kind of ran um, the IT support business, which also um, ended up being a pretty big business. So we we're doing more than a million dollars a year in services revenue there. Um, and I ran a lot of the um, marketing stuff for the online store, and he ran the sales and product um, sourcing. Um, and then we had someone to manage inventory and, and warehouse and, and a team basically to do all the, the customer service. I think we had three or four customer service people as well at the time. Um, what else do we have? A couple of full-time developers, some uh, finance person and a couple of other guys as well. So um, I think we had like 25 staff okay. at its peak, something like that. So we were split over two offices. We, we had to get another office because there was just so many of us. So it was a, definitely an interesting time, that's for sure. 
and was he around the same age as you? Uh, he was five years older than me. So he was, um, so I was a bit more of a technical guy. I was the tech nerd and he was the sales guy at the time. Okay. Um, so when, when we kind of parted ways after that business, I realized that, you know, he, he was holding up the end when it came to sales. So Mm -hmm. it was a really good opportunity for me. It kind of forced me to learn about sales and selling because I had this new SEO consulting business and I didn't know how to sell. So it was a really good education, I guess, trial by fire that I went from this IT guy running, doing all this tech stuff to having to be in front of customers and actually sell people. So, yeah. Take us through the excitement, Brendan, of having that type of growth in a business and then what was it like for you and the team when everything kind of started to come crashing down? Yeah, it's interesting in a growing business. Like, you don't, if the business is growing generally, you don't really need to manage cash during the growth period because there's always more cash tomorrow than there is today. Where, and that was really exciting because, you know, if you check the bank account in the morning, there'd be, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in there and then we'd go and buy it, spend it all on stock or whatever. And then the next day, the money would be back again and even more of it. So it was really during the like growth period. Um, it was awesome. It was just like we, we thought we were like geniuses. We've discovered this way to sell. Um, and there was plenty of money. The problem was when that growth levels out and then you actually have to manage when there's, you know, there's a dip, the, the revenue next month is less than this month, then you've got negative cash flow. And that's where you start to have problems where you, you don't have experience and, you know, managing cash flow is that big in a business of that size. And especially when you're importing as well and you have stock in transit that it's going to take four or six weeks to arrive before you can sell it. So then you start having these negative cash flow issues or cash flow gaps and um, you start to get in this cycle, this negative cash flow cycle. So it was really, we were really out of our depth. We just grew way too fast and we had to learn too many things to, to keep it all together. Like we had to, under, with a team that big, we had to understand HR. Um, and it's interesting, once you get a team over a certain size, then there's always at least one or two people sick or away or, or not available that day. So you start to get all these kind of sideline issues and end up doing a lot of firefighting once you get past a certain size. And I mean, we were young and inexperienced and to a degree ran the business a bit like cowboys. So <laughs> that's great. It's great during a growth phase where you need people who you know need to take risks and are comfortable in that kind of risky position or experimenting with new things. But you, one of the things we did wrong, I think, was not hiring people who had the skills that we didn't have to kind of manage the business and take care of that day-to-day bit because neither of us were really we loved the growth and the exciting stuff and and trying the new toys and trying new things out but we didn't like the boring you know the day-to-day stuff which isn't really super exciting like dealing with hr issues and politics and all that sort of stuff that's not really exciting stuff i guess the the business the growing the business is where all the excitement is so yeah what are some of the things you learned about leadership during that process? Oh, um, that's a good question. Um, is it, I mean, generally, when you get to that size, like you, you have to understand that um, it's really about you can't focus on the little issues. You have to be managing the team and you know managing the people under you. You can't really dig into the the in the business tactical level because you just get sucked into it. Um, And it's really important that you don't 
you, you need to help the staff and kind of support your team, but you can't really as much as you want to. And it's hard, especially because you have been in that as you grow a business, you, you know, you start off and you're doing everything in the business and then, you know, you hire people to do it for you. But there's a tendency, well, for me anyway, a tendency to jump in and want to solve the problems for the team rather than kind of support them and, and coach them through problems and, and their learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one thing that I still struggle with today. And it, it's, you know, it's exciting to get jump in and get your hands dirty and, and play with the the toys or, or whatever it is or do something new and exciting so it's still something i think it's something i'll always struggle with is standing back and kind of walking leading the staff through it or supporting them through it rather than wanting to do it myself um so that was you know a big it was a big learning curve to do that and then having building kind of processes and systems in place to kind of manage at that high level and have still have visibility into what's going on in the business without necessarily having to physically be there or talk to the people or, or touch whatever is going on. So, yeah, those were probably the big things we took away and, you know, the, that real system building and processes, I think, learning because, I mean, we, we hired two developers to build internal systems. This was at a time where there really was no, like, Shopify or e-commerce platform, so we had a custom platform. So we did a lot of stuff around automation and process and things like that. So that was really interesting as the business grew. That was, you know, a lot of our focus was on that as well. Incredible, man. So hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So, like, if you were that same 22, 23-year-old and you knew what you knew today, what would you do differently going into that business would you even go into that business <laughs> yeah i mean going I'd, that business wouldn't be able to survive today in in the form it was in because it's just so much competition with amazon and just across the market but probably the one thing we did poorly was manage cash flow and we had didn't really have a solid understanding of the numbers and the numbers we didn't the accounting system wasn't up to date it was weeks or months out of date so that was probably we didn't really have the the financial tools and financial reporting to run the business as it was at that size. So that would be the number one thing I'd probably fix is go back and fix the financial system so we have visibility on a day-to-day basis as to what's going on. Because, uh, you know, when you're dealing with those big numbers, a 5 or 10% shift in those numbers is, that you know, that's a serious amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a couple of negative 5% shifts can really hurt you over the course of a few months. So that's probably the, one of the first things I do. And then probably the other thing I do is – we had the team was because it grew so fast. There was a lot of uh, inefficiency and bloat. So we probably, if the team was managed properly and we had proper HR and systems in place around the people and KPIs and proper performance targets for them, we probably would have only needed half the team. So, mm. I mean, when you have you've got a team of twenty or twenty-five people, that's you know a million dollar a year wage bill that mm-hmm. you've got to pay for. So you've got to make a million dollars profit just to pay the people to um to be there so you know if you think about it like that that's that's a lot of money to make and there's a lot of efficiency if you can make the staff 20 percent more efficient then you know you can save massive amounts of money just in, in staff costs and wage bills so let's hop into what you've got going on today you in the definition you kind of are a serial entrepreneur hustling with 
Would you have five or six businesses going? <laughs> maybe, maybe too many. I do, but maybe that an addict is more of a an appropriate term. So I still have so they still have the search engine shop, the agency that I started off after all that, mm-hmm. um, and we've split out. So we now we do a lot of hosting for clients. So we discovered that when we're doing SEO and AdWords for customers, if their website goes down, they call us anyway. So. We started doing hosting for customers and that's kind of taken on a life of its own. So now we're in the process. We have split it out as its own business and you're kind of working and growing that separately this year um, because that's become a six-figure business in its own right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's basically high-performance managed WordPress hosting in Australia. Uh, so that's that's probably my core focus right now for the next three or, from, three or six months is to grow that because it, it, the it solves a problem for the Australian market as well because there really aren't any good hosting solutions that are based in Australia. So we've kind of found a problem in the market that that this problem solves. So and it's going pretty well, and people it's being received well, and people are seeing good results from it. So it's kind of I can feel it's like on that upward tra- trajectory. So mm-hmm. excellent. Actually, you're doing something for a few years now that I think is pretty cool is you have the government giving you contracts to put on workshops. And I'd like to learn a little bit more about that, how you got into that and how you got the government to pay you. Yeah. So that in, so in Australia we have something called the NBN or national broadband network. So it's this fiber optic network that the government has billions of dollars, um, invested in. They're basically rolling out fiber optic across Australia. So there's fast internet, so part of that is funding for small businesses. So they've set aside a portion of that funding for uh, money for training and you know getting businesses online and teaching them how to use the internet. So in 2009, they had the first series of funding come up mm-hmm. where they, they had a tender process where um, businesses could apply for some of this funding to deliver training. So a friend of mine at the time told me about it and she said, well, you should go and apply for it. And I don't know if you know anything about tenders and tender writing, but it's like this really corporate bureaucratic process where you're doing all this paperwork and it's it's just the stuff I hate. So mm-hmm. I said to her, well, let's do it together. You know, would you be interested in doing that? So um, back and forth over the course of a few months, it ended up um, we did a partnership with seven of us in total, so me and her and then uh, five other companies. So we did the tender, submitted the tender, and we won – uh, the funding, so we won the grant. So we did a uh, full day. I think we did 36 full day workshops over the course of a year, and we travelled around. It was it was in the capital city in Perth, in Western Australia, I think uh, in Darwin as well. And then there was a whole bunch of workshops in country towns. So it was kind of like we went on this road show for um, two months doing all these workshops. So that contract has evolved. It's been rolled over in, in various forms over since then. So. Uh, and we're still doing workshops today and we're doing it in conjunction with a, a chamber of commerce and they do a lot of the all the kind of paperwork stuff and, and the stuff related to the government and we kind of just show up and do workshops. So it's it's worked out really well. How are you manage your, managing your time with all these businesses, Brendan? Do you build a business and then set it up to forget it and just let it run on its own or are you kind of constantly bouncing back and forth between all of these um, I have a couple of focus projects that I work on at once. So, like I said, at the moment, I'm focused on growing the hosting side of the business. And then I have just the team 
just running the day to day and and managing the most of the customer facing stuff and um, the general day to day customer service. But I might like check in. I might get an email once. A, you know, I might do ten minutes a day on one of the businesses and just answer a couple of emails or just check in. Um, and see how we're going. We have a daily stand-up meeting where um, we jump on a conference call with all the team and goes for. we have it at 9 a.m. in the morning and it goes for 10 or 15 minutes and everyone just says what they're working on for the day. So mm-hmm. that's a good way to, one, it's a good way to make sure everybody's at work <laughs> and um, they're around and, you know, if someone hasn't shown up for a meeting a couple of days in a row, you know something's wrong. Um, and it's just a quick way because, you know, my inbox could be hundreds of emails deep um, in a single day. So it's just a good way for them to get issues addressed that need my attention or, or whatever if they need a question answered. So, um, yeah, generally I'll, I'll be focused on one or two big projects and then just kind of take the temperature of the other businesses on a daily basis with that team call. Just so I'm clear, you have one team that's helping you on all the businesses. Is that correct? Well, I have one main team and, and some of those customer service guys are spread over a, a few things. And then we have our um, broader, so I have business partners in another business. So um, we just keep, up, we have a Slack channel and we keep up to date there and do a call every couple of weeks. So, um, but yeah, we have like, it's an all hands meeting with, with the team who work on the operational bits and pieces every day, well, every weekday. And your team's completely virtual? Uh, yeah, everybody works remote. Well, I define virtual. Yeah, remote. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're all remote. Now, when you were growing the IT business, was your team remote also? No, they're all in person. So that was all physical. The two offices were only, you know, they were in the same suburb and it was totally 100% in person. And after that business, with such high, you know, we're paying rent, we're paying for staffing costs. There was a lot of inefficiency as a result of that. So I swore after that business, I wouldn't have that same structure again. Like I remember at one point, we grew so fast, we had to spend 12 grand on a telephone system, which today with Skype just seems crazy. But mm. um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of hidden and extra costs that come along with um with having a physical office, I guess. Um, and I don't mind, like I work from a co-working space quite often or I might work at a cafe for a few hours a couple of times a week. So I think it's it's important to have a dedicated workspace. But um, yeah, I'm not sure if I'll ever have an office where people have to attend like that sort of structure um, ever again. And I don't think they need to. There's a lot of inefficiency around that with you know commuting and, and everything else. So yeah, and I'm also quite flexible. Like, so long as our guys are turning up for the call every day and get the whatever they're working on nailed and, and balls aren't being dropped, I'm not too hard on, you know, you have to be at the desk between nine and five. Um, and we also have Slack has been really awesome for keeping the team in touch. Um, and just if you need something kind of urgently, you can ping one of the guys on Slack and get a response straight away. So um, that's been really good too. So. Yeah. Where, do you, where do you find your team members at? Are they all Australian or are you working with other people from other countries as well? Uh, we have some in Australia. We have some contractors in North America. Um, we have some contractors we use for specific things. Like we might have a specific tool like Google Analytics. We might need some specialty help. Um, so we have some uh, contractors we work with. On that, and then we have a whole bunch of people in the Philippines as well. So kind of scattered around quite a bit. When you look to bring on 
somebody on onto your team, an employee, whether it be in the Philippines or Australia, what are some of the things that you're looking for to make sure that you're getting a solid employee? Probably one of the most important things is ability to communicate. Like, can they talk properly on the phone? Can they write a you know an email that makes sense? Um, and be, I mean, because we're working remote, you're, you're not sitting there with the person all day long, so they need to be able to communicate effectively over email. Like, I'd, and and you usually pick that up in the you know the emails back and forth when you're hiring staff. If it takes ten emails to to arrange a, a time to talk on Skype versus two emails, then you probably know there's a problem. So, um, yeah, communication is a big one, and then just eagerness to learn or proactivity. Like, if there's a problem. I want to know about it or if there's something they don't understand or they need help with or extra training, then, you know, it's it's not a problem that they know it. It's a problem that if they don't know it, it's causing problems in the business and they don't speak up. So I think that level of proactivity is important along with it. They kind of go hand in hand, just that kind of proactive mindset um, and, and communication skills. What's keeping you motivated to build all these businesses? I don't know. Maybe I'm, oh, that's a good question. Maybe I'm just <laughs> addicted to it. Um, I mean, I genuinely like solving problems. So, you know, it's exciting. I enjoy the, the building phase of the business um, and kind of growing it and, you know, putting something out into the world and seeing it work and seeing customers get excited about it. And, you know, when someone, when you create a, a product and a customer buys it, it genuinely solves a problem for them and they're, they're genuinely happy about that. It's kind of, it's you know it's a good feeling it's it's i like that so you know when the when the business is built and it's it's running stable so we have one business that's running stable there's nothing exciting it's kind of it's it's kind of boring like it it's profitable and it's making money but it's there's there's nothing to do it's kind of like someone just runs it day to day and and that's it so yeah i think it's maybe i'm addicted to that feeling you know of, of growing something or learning something so but yeah definitely enjoy the the problem solving aspect a lot do you see yourself continuing to grow businesses to where they're stable, quote unquote stable, and then growing another one, another one, another one, or is there a point where you see yourself um, stopping? Well, I would I would say that I'd see I would see myself stopping at one point, but then I could go on a beach holiday for a week and I'd be going nuts with with nothing <laughs> to do. So. Yeah, I, at this stage, I don't know. I can't really see myself stopping. Like, I enjoy that that just experience of learning and problem solving a little bit too much. Maybe the one thing I'd like to do is spend less time in front of computers or, or using computers. That's probably one thing I'd like to do moving forward into the future is a little bit less computer time, I think. Is there any business that you would like to get in that you haven't got into yet? Not really. Uh, like FBA was one business we wanted to get into, so we started that in 2014, and it'd be interesting to do more of that and go deeper on that. Only because it's still, as a you know, it's such a, a passive business once it's set up and running. But you know, I've got probably more ideas than I do time at this stage. Um, so yeah, there's not. I don't want to add anything more to that to-do list. I'm already spread across way too many things as it is. And one thing I struggle with is just focusing on on one thing, and you know, rather than spring spread across five different projects and and moving none of them ahead. Well, you started podcasting a while back and using this as a sales tool, but I like the concept that you were telling me about podcasting. Do you mind sharing that and why you decided to start? Do you mind sharing that? Yeah, sure. So. 
We started this podcast. I think we're up to the podcast is called the Business Marketing Show. We're up to like episode number sixty. I think we've been running it for two or three years, and um, we really just started it as a sales tool. So we we're doing all these workshops with people, um, and in our, our market, there's a massive gap because business owners, traditional business owners we work with don't understand anything about the web. They don't understand Google Maps or Google Analytics or all these tools that most um, kind of online business owners would just take for granted. So that worked great in the workshops explaining that to them. But then we'd get a lot of follow-up questions or we get referrals where we didn't found we'd be on the phone for 20 minutes, half an hour to explain a, a basic concept to a customer. So we started... The first 20 episodes of the podcast were basically just the same things we teach in the workshop in podcast format. So it worked really well. We didn't really treat it like a podcast. It's more just like a, I guess, an audio strategy, an audio tool. So instead of having to explain a concept to a customer and spend all that time doing it, we could just send, flick them a couple of links with podcast episodes and say, hey, listen to this. This will answer most of your questions and and then let's book a time to talk after that. So. It's been really good for, from that perspective just to save time. We're basically having the same conversation with the customer without having to be there. And now it's it's once we tipped over like episode 50, it's kind of started to pick up momentum and I will get a couple of emails a week with people who have been listening to the podcast and they've just stumbled across it or someone sent it to them and they want to talk, they want to you know, help with their marketing or whatever. Um, so it's starting. So now it's reached that tipping point where it's become a marketing tool as well. So um, it never really started out like that, and we never kind of wanted to build a show with subscribers. But like it's, um, we we kind of, you know, we go through spurts of giving it attention. So we're now we didn't really record any podcasts for six or eight months. So we're back doing it. You know, committed to at least a few podcasts a month to keep the momentum up. So, yeah, it's been really good, and I recommend it to anybody just to have, you know, even if it's not a podcast, just have some audio that if you're talking to customers a lot, having some audio that basically says the same thing on the website that can answer those common questions. Like it, it can be a really powerful sales tool. I think so too. I think it really connects the customers or the clients with the the business or the people that are running the business also. Yeah, um, I think so. I know you guys are pretty good with e-commerce optimization. Do you have two or three tips or tactics that you can share with the listeners about optimizing your e-commerce stores? Yeah, so um, probably the first one is just one of the things we have when we take on an e-commerce consultant client is um, go through their checkout. So most e-commerce business owners don't really go through their checkout very often. So that's one thing we have them do and we do it as well is just walk through this, the checkout process and look at the, what all the emails say and just get a feel for what's going on on the site. And quite often we find some really easy wins that things are broken or don't make sense or the, the checkout process is long and convoluted. So that's one easy win. We also use a tool called Lucky Orange um, Analytics. So that also records videos of what users are doing on the website and mouse movements and clicks and everything else. So we'll run that for two or four weeks and just sit down and spend half an hour and watch, you know, watch 20 or 30 user sessions and very quickly you'll you'll see a pattern. It's a, it's kind of a similar thing to going through the checkout. You're just watching other people go through the checkout and, and poke around the site. So um, yeah, very quickly you see patterns where there's gaps or there's a, a behavior that you see over and over again. 
and there might be some sort of gap in the website. So that's that's another one. And I think it's free. You can use it free for a few weeks or so many 200 visitors or something like that. So that's another great tool. And then probably the other one that um, most small business owners don't do very often is Google their own business name and just see what it says. So again, often there's low-hanging fruit around quite often probably half the clients we work with both e-commerce and the seo and adwords clients have some sort of issue around customer reviews that might be a bad review or a star rating one star rating showing further down the page so just that those are really simple things that they're all free and they're all they don't really need any tech skills and often we'll find one really big win that can make a a big difference in terms of traffic or conversion just by walking through those three things great tips man Brandon, I think we're going to wrap up there for today. If awesome. there's any listeners out there that want to get a hold of you, where's the best place they can do that at? Uh, probably at the Search Engine Shop website. So it's just the Search Engine Shop, T-H-E, thesearchengineshop.com. Very cool. And I want to give you a big thank you for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge about being an entrepreneur. is a great story, man. I really enjoyed it. And cool. listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys on the next episode. And thanks for coming on the show. Bye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those that are in the entrepreneur house, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year we have three different events, a three-day productivity weekend in different cities all around the world, a two-week all-inclusive retreat for entrepreneurs with six-figure businesses. This will be full of workshops, masterminds, and adventure. Then a four-week event in Chiang Mai, Thailand for established entrepreneurs, also full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. These events will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested in have some questions be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact we will respond as soon as possible for now saludos from somewhere in the world